Untitled was founded in 2012 as a fair that would innovate upon the standard fair model by selecting a curatorial team to identify and curate a selection of galleries, artist-run spaces, and nonprofit institutions, all in dialogue with an architecturally designed venue. Over the years, we've worked with curators from all over the world. So just the other day, I called up a curator friend of mine. My name is Tin Yoke. I'm a Danish curator. I would say I'm more of a citizen of the world and being particular Danish. Ping is a particularly dynamic curator. I've worked with people uh, on concepts, non-concepts, uh, intersectional, uh, dramatic, non-dramatic performances uh, and other exhibitions. And uh, right now I'm in Berlin at the Soho House. People are splashing and splishing and drinking cocktails, which I find slightly disgusting, but I live with it. I specifically called Ping to ask to get her take on Untitled and asked her to explain what Untitled meant to her. I feel uh, Untitled right now. I moved to Berlin because uh, people said it was cool, but all the galleries are going to Vienna and all the artists are moving to Portugal. So I'm in a non-space. I don't know who I am. I don't know what's going on or what the meaning of everything is. So it's like being in a K-hole. Untitled, it's, uh, it's not nothing. It uh, refers to something, but then again, uh, it's, uh, it's a difficult concept. Look at it like this. When you lose language, there will still be elements floating around. Uh, there will be atoms uh, hitting each other. When you have untitled, there will still be a piece, even if it has no title. Are, are you following me, Amanda? I was in an exhibition the other day. I walk in uh, and there are these two um, sliding doors. The sliding doors open and I go into the corner of the exhibition space. I try to move out, but then I am cornered. I cannot get out of this place. So this uh, piece where I got stuck, it, um, it had no title. At one point I had to break uh, out and uh, I got quite aggressive. Uh, later, I discovered that if you would only stand still for about 65 seconds, you would get out anyway. Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Art Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Schmidt. Untitled Art Podcast is the new iteration of Untitled Radio program that innovates upon the customary art fair talks by providing a different dynamic and depth for interviews and panel discussions, adding performances, audio-based artwork, music, and playlists by artists, curators, and art world professionals, all presented at Untitled Art Fairs in Miami Beach and San Francisco. The next edition of Untitled Miami Beach will take place December 5th to the 9th, 2018 and Untitled San Francisco, January 18th to the 20th, 2019. You can't always believe what you hear. In a time where media and journalism is in crisis, where globally we struggle with the definition of real versus fake news, Sometimes what looks like fact feels more like fiction, and worlds of fiction seem more plausible than fact. On this episode of Untitled Art Podcast, we dive into the projects and presentations based on fiction that have been broadcast on Untitled Radio since 2015. 
It's important to talk about how blurring the line between fact and fiction is an indispensable and classic artistic strategy. It is also disastrous for democracy and governance. The place to challenge the real is art, not governance. This episode includes fragments of programs that featured readings of short stories, theater and performance, as well as artists and writers who have produced radio dramas created to be presented on the radio itself. We'll introduce these fictions in six chapters. Chapter 1, Cubist Narrative. 2, Bird Brains. 3, The DJ That Never Was. 4, Postmodern Musical. 5, Radio Mystery Theater. And Chapter 6, A-List Interviews. So without further ado, let's jump into Chapter 1, Cubist Narrative. We start today's episode with a reading of a short story by the Argentine writer Cesar Aira, which asks a simple question. Would you rather have a Picasso or be Picasso? We invited curator Piper Marshall to read the story during the fourth edition of the fair in Miami Beach. The full story, Picasso, is authored by Cesar Aira, 2013, and was translated to English by Chris Andrews in 2015. The story was originally published in The Musical Brain, and the program was presented with the permission of New Directions Publishing Corporation. It all began when the genie came out of the magic milk bottle and asked me what I would prefer, to have a Picasso or to be a Picasso. He could grant me either wish, but he warned me, only one of the two. I had to think about it for a while, or rather, he obliged me to think about it. Folklore and literature are so full of stories about greedy fools who are punished for their haste. It makes you think those offers are all too good to be true. There are no records or reliable precedents on which to base a decision because this sort of thing happens only in stories or jokes. So no one has ever really thought about it seriously. And in the stories, there's always a trick. Otherwise, it would be no fun and there would be no story. At some point, we've all secretly imagined this happening. I had it all worked out, but only for the classic, quote, three wishes scenario. The choice the genie had given me was so unexpected, and one of the options was so definitive that I needed some time to weigh them up. It was a strange choice, but not inappropriate. In fact, it was particularly apt. I was leaving the Picasso Museum in a state of rapture and boundless admiration. And at that moment, I could not have been offered anything or any two things that would have tempted me more. I hadn't actually left the museum yet. I was in the garden, sitting at one of the outdoor tables, having gone to the cafe and bought a little bottle of the magic milk that I'd seen tourists drinking everywhere. It was, it is, a perfect autumn afternoon. Gentle light, mild air, and still a while to go before dusk. I took my notebook and pen from my pocket to make some notes, but in the end, I didn't write anything. I tried to put my ideas in order. I silently repeated the genie's words, to have a Picasso or to be Picasso. Who wouldn't want to have a Picasso? Who would turn down a gift like that? But on the other hand, who wouldn't 
want to have been Picasso? Was there a more enviable fate in modern history? Not even the privileges of supreme worldly power are comparable to what he had because they can be removed by political events or wars, while the power of Picasso transcending that of any president or king was invulnerable. Anyone else in my place would have preferred the second option, which included the first, not only because Picasso could paint all the Picassos he liked, but also because it's well known that he kept a lot of his own paintings, including some of the best. The museum I just visited had been founded with his personal collection. And in his later years, he even bought back works that he'd sold as a young man. This inclusion did not, of course, exhaust the advantages of being transformed into Picasso, not by a long shot. The being went far beyond the having, taking in all the protean joys of creation, stretching away to an unimaginable horizon. Being Picasso, in the wake of the real-life Picasso, whatever he was really like, meant being a super Picasso, a Picasso raised to the power of magic or miracle. But I knew my geniuses, je m'y connaissais en fait de génie, and I could tell or guess that it wasn't quite so simple. There were good reasons to hesitate and even to recoil in horror. In order to become someone else, one has to cease being oneself, and no one willingly consents to that surrender. Not that I considered myself to be more important than Picasso, or healthier, or better equipped to face life. He had been fairly unstable. I knew that much from the biographies. But not as unstable as me, so by becoming him, I would improve the state of my mental health to some degree. Still, thanks to a lifetime's patient efforts, I had made peace with my neuroses, fears, anxieties, and other handicaps, or at least reached a point where I could keep them under control. And there was no guarantee that this partial cure would work with Picasso's problems. That was more or less my reasoning. Although I didn't put it into words, it was just a series of hunches. Fundamentally, this was an extreme case of the problem of identification, which is raised not only by the master of Malaga, but by every artist one admires or venerates or studies. The problem goes beyond Picasso and yet remains within him too. Identification is one of those things which can't be generalized. There is no identification in general as a concept, only identification with this or that figure in particular. And if the figure is Picasso, as in this case, there can be no other. The concept turns itself inside out, as if we were to say, although it's a clumsy way to put it, and it's not about identifying with Picasso, but about Picassifying identification. Chapter 2. Bird Brains That same year in Miami Beach, we invited another Argentine, artist Sergio Vega, to present Parrot Theory 101, a performance that simulates a lecture course, mirroring academic settings and language. 
What follows is Vega's lecture, which cannot be treated realistically as theory or not theory. This performance presented the idea of the paratization of culture, analyzing how culture exists through its own duplication. Deconstruction is not merely a set of theses that we remove from one context to apply to another, although we do that all the time, <laughs> particularly in art discourses. Deconstruction exists in its applications as shanty towns, exists in the context of the city, eccentrically. Their formation can be interpreted as results from the city's hegemonic centralized construction as a totalizing entity. Shanty towns come into being as a deconstruction of the city in the most literal sense. These precarious informal dwellings are erected from recycled materials discarded by the city and its industries. The Paros deconstruction of language, an assemblage of empathy and mimesis, resembles that of the shantytown's construction. For the facades of the city shantytowns, a collage based on the necessity of function randomly displays the material fragments of the city and of its own deconstruction. Mirror. We spoke about colors, we spoke about language and speech, and now we are going to talk about mirrors. Flaubert. The parrot as the Holy Spirit, the sacred equals the profane. Flaubert's short story brings us to the functions of the parrot as a mirror. In this case, a mirror of the soul of divinity, an instance of purity that contradicts profane interpretations of parrots. The human brain, the corpus caliosum as the site of translation, crossover equals translation. This is a somewhat outdated version of the locations of functions in the brain, in the human brain we're talking. However, it is employed in this context as a metaphorical axis. The cerebral cortex is divided into two hemispheres. The left manages language, numeric formulations like algebra and logic. The right manages color and spatial representations, nonverbal ideation, geometry and intuition. Between them is the corpus callosum, an extensive set of connecting cables. It is in passing through this very part of the brain that impulses are translating. Crossing over one way, sensorial data becomes language, number, or logical thought. In the other direction, thought becomes intuition, space, and sensorial representation. Instances of the mirror, affirmation or mistrust. Borges, mirrors, photographs, duplication, Lacan, the mirror stage and subjectivity. A passage of Borges declares his profound distrust of mirrors and photographs because of their duplication of reality. So Borges was very distrustful of mimetic representation. Indeed, mirrors and photographs exist in a state of duplicity and are often considered suspect. Explaining the mirror stage, Lacan proposes that the visual identity given by the mirror supplies imaginary wholeness to the experience of a fragmented real. As a result of this split between image and experience, subjectivity finds itself caught, fraught in a libidinal relationship with its own image. Another topic that will develop out of this will be the issue of narcissism in art, particularly in the art audiences and art viewers, not only in the artists but that's topic for another talk. Baudrillard, the disappearance of the real. Baudrillard said that to simulate is to feign what one hasn't. However, 
Someone who simulates an illness can produce actual symptoms, destabilizing the distinctions between fact and fiction. As a result, the simulation cannot be treated, objectively speaking, as ill or not ill. In this scenario of possibilities, Baudrillard deploys historicization of the faces of the image. One, the image is the reflection of a basic reality. Two, the image masks and perverts a basic reality. Three, the image masks the absence of a basic reality. Four, the image bears no relation to any reality. It is its own simulation. Colonialism, the parrot as a stereotype of the exotic. To this commonly understood cultural stereotype, I would like to add that the parrot is exotic not just for its tropical origin, but also for its eccentricity, its difference and its difference. Something of its behavior makes it a mirror and a simulator, both a teaser and a source of empathy. Chapter 3, The DJ That Never Was In 2017, artist Scott Reeder presented a music mix for Untitled Radio based on a series of text paintings dealing with imaginary hybrid music genres. In this track, a fictional DJ leads us through a cycle of different fictional musical genres, hilariously titled cyberfolk, cat jazz, instructional reggae, brown metal, foreclosed house, industrial ringtones, urban wind chimes, Appalachian synth, Euro creep, R&D&B, punk light, and ambient polka. The full playlist is archived on untitledartfairs.com. When I was falling asleep on the plane, flying from Ugada Airport back to Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Listening to music on my iPod between realities. All of a sudden, the music woke me up, kind of. It was telling me, TC, TC, wake up. It was telling me, TC, TC, wake up. Look outside. I need it to get out of the dream and wake up. And I looked outside the window on the plane. And I saw this amazing city at night. The lighting. And I saw white clouds in the distance. I saw the moon shining over the clouds. White clouds. It was the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. And this was the music that woke me up.
In Chapter 4, Postmodern Musical, we are transported to the semi-fictional world of Paris and Wizard, a musical by A. Arakawa, Dan Postan, and Stefan Cherepinin, based on MoMA curator Barbara London's late 20th century research into multimedia art in Japan. This musical was originally performed at the Museum of Modern Art in New York, 2013, but aired on Untitled Radio in San Francisco, 2017. to Japan became the exhibition. Video from Tokyo to Fukui and Kyoto. I couldn't find the exact records where, but it traveled 15 places in Japan, USA and Europe. Mona Lisa. Three minutes. Mona Lisa. Our history of video just began, but we are now a contemporary people. Our new consciousness and technological ability will enable us to advance rapidly from our late start in video if we can overcome our financial and institutional difficulties. experimenting but are more realistic about our expectations and are more committed to the medium. This is the musical about video. Kick the world, housewife. Kick the world, Minamata. Kick the world, housewife. Kick the world, Minamata. Chicken, chicken, life goes on. Undefined medium. In Chapter 5, Radio Mystery Theater, will re-air a piece of radio theater called Sky Life by writer Anne McGuire and musician Wayne Grimm, created for the second edition of Untitled San Francisco. McGuire and Grimm, like me, have always loved radio, and they take inspiration from radio plays like CBS Radio Mystery Theater, or even audiobooks. They explore how a story can be heard, creating a surreal world that only a listener can see. We will enter this radio play about halfway through the story, following their protagonist on Sky Life. 
Nurse Milipedis, in an effort to curb slack work by her team, had to close the shades on the windows until further notice. That's how she worded it in the crew-wide memo after she learned that the sunshine-starved crew had been taking turns sitting in the sunbeam while they were supposed to be dumping waste chutes over Lake Superior. A plumbing mishap. She knew that the only way to keep the other nurses in line was to punish them all for the sin of one, though in this case it was the sin of all. It was a military-style punishment, and it worked. The other nurses, all paid volunteers, would slowly fall in line and share duties and earn some beam exposure according to the rules. Even Nurse Milipedis got the same amount of sun as the others, as stated in her employment contract. As it happened, the punishment period would be ending at the next fueling, which was in six hours. She could feel the crew's lethargy shifting towards hope. If we could just limit the amount of oxygen for Mrs. Gray for the next six hours, she thought loudly to herself. Mrs. Gray was one of the sicker life flyers. After the mid-air refuel maneuver and supply drop, they would be able to relax for another week. And if stories from the ground were true, the new stem cell treatment for Mr. Clareson would be drop-loaded on deck as well, possibly delaying his death. She walked over to him and waited for him to speak. Did you know that butterflies see differently than us due to their special eyes? He asked her slowly. No, she said, checking his pulse. It's not as if they're seeing anything important, are they? The world looks different to them. Isn't that interesting? He asked with more seriousness and she knew he was leading her into the usual conversation of questions, no answers. This could go on if she didn't nip it in the bud. If what you are getting at is that we could do something innovative with how they see, yes. Otherwise, I don't see butterfly sight as being important. Yes, if we could utilize their skill sight, we would see ultraviolet colors not detected by the human eye. For some reason, that interested her. She needed time to think. Nurse Fields, she called. Could you take this temperature for me, please? Fields, the only redhead on the plane, knew her boss was trying to avoid more conversation with old man Clareson. Out of habit, Fields walked over to the old man's bedside and waited. Ah, Miss Fields, how are you today? said the patient. Very well, sir. Shall I get you some grape juice? She asked with forced brightness. Not waiting for an answer, she turned and started making her way through the maze of the long body of the plane. Her mind was someplace else. Are we over Iowa? Minnesota? Why am I here? Someone get me out of this nightmare. But it would not be as easy as that. And like the contract said, sign up for life. Life. What had become of it up here in this tin tube flying against time, reversing age and extending the years? And for what, she wondered. That was what the scientists had predicted after a series of decades-long tests with mice, monkeys, and eventually human volunteers. And now she had become one of them, an official life flyer. 
She passed through the canteen corridor and caught the smell of curry. She fumbled in her skirt pocket to find the drinks cabinet key and found it dangling on the end of her little me-without-end keychain. That was the name of this government-run enterprise, Me Without End Airlines. The slogan, fly with us forever, took on a new meaning shortly after she signed up for this embarkation in the sky. She grabbed a grape drink and hurried back to her patient. Well, is my temperature a normal 97.3 degrees altitude? Mr. Clariston asked while holding the thermometer between his teeth, the sight of which for a moment broke the spell of the nagging why thoughts that dog nurse fields. Your altitemp is perfect, sir. Nothing to worry about. She answered and looked directly into his old, old eyes. What's the point was what she was thinking while her face said, I care. For the final chapter on our episode Fictions, I'm so excited to re-air one of my favorite performances from Untitled Radio. In 2016 in Miami Beach, we invited the Norwegian artist Constanza Tenvik to propose a performance for Untitled Radio. She called upon a cast of characters, including the influential Scandinavian curator Ping Yolk, who we heard at the beginning of the episode, who hosted a bacchanalian closing party for the fair. Her and her guests shared their experiences during their week in Miami. I'm sorry to throw a curveball on uh, you, live radio. You, it's okay. Um, there are many curveballs in the world. Actually, that's uh, one of my favorite objects. It's, uh, it's sometimes used in sports. I used to play curveball, actually, so that's uh, quite amazing. And, uh, oh, I'm, I'm surprised. My other guests actually are climbing up the stairs right now. I mean, this is something I haven't really mentioned, but um, it's quite amazing. Uh, we are in a tower. I'm almost saying like we're in a tower bubble, like it's uh, in, within the, the fairs of Untitled Radio. You see booth after booth after booth after booth, but then also like quite in the center, there's a tower for, for people to meet and greet and speak. And, and to be around, oh, hello. I mean, I'm so... Hello, darling. I'm so glad you made it. Uh, I've missed you. I've missed you as well. I love what the radio does to your voice. Right, it's amazing. Mm. Could you maybe introduce yourself? Hello, hello. My name is Pilar Elizabeth rendezvous Um I am, you probably know who I am, but I am a very wealthy art collector. In America. Amazing, amazing, yeah. I mean, internationally, I would even say. Wouldn't you? I mean, you have an apartment in every metropolitan uh, capital, so why wouldn't I call you that? You know, it's... Uh, it's a lot of walls to decorate. It's a lot. Absolutely. And uh, so in terms of wall decoration, how do you find... Uh, I mean, this area here, I mean, you see walls everywhere with, uh, with art. Uh, are you impressed? I have been moved. I have been brought to tears to laughter, to melodrama of all uh, different levels. I have been, oh, I have just been so mesmerized 
by Art Basel. Yes. So many wonderful things happening here. Yes. Really. You know, for example, Ping and I have been talking about obviously all of the VIP lists, all of the exciting moments that we've uh, experienced. I've never RSVP'd so much in my life. RSVP'd. It's incredible. It's a... Isn't it? Yes. It's a... I've... Yeah, I've seen so many people I would never have access to before. I never thought I would, uh, you know, do jello shots on Nelly Furtado. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. She's got an amazing body. And uh, an amazing boat, like the yacht boat that's boat. down in the port. Her yes. boat, yes. yes. I believe you helped decorate that boat. I, be- I believe Ping. so, too. Ping. Yes, there were <laughs> many, many curatorial decisions needed. Um, I mean... Why would a boat um, just be for, you know, riding around when it can be an internal paradise for external pleasure? I just want our listeners at home to know, because they can't see me, that I am now drinking a canned Italian espresso. That, that's the kind of thing that Basil can do for you. Absolutely. A canned Italian espresso. Official sponsorship by Italy. It's yes, a- exactly. It's a beverage. What is that you're drinking, Pilar? Oh, why, it's it's Ely Cappuccino in a bottle or something. Well, enough enough talk for a little bit. I think I want to uh, put on a song, especially for you, Pilar. Shall we sing it's, a song? Um, I want to just play I Only Have Eyes for You first, because that's how I feel. So thank you. Do, do I have to push? I push? Oh, I don't you, push. You have been pushing a lot push. of things lately, but... Uh, yes. Oh, Ping. Yes, she's pushing my buttons, actually. Ping, you're just a, a barrel of fun. Mm, what we do just we, have what so can much I fun. What can I say? Yes. So, I mean, uh, I get distracted easily, but, I mean, we're, we should talk a little bit about the, what can I say, the gems uh, that we've been discovering here. It's like a treasure hunt, no? The gems. Yeah. Oh, the gems. The like gems. The, well, I was the thinking about more like the gems. Uh, the gems. Um, but yes, we have gems since we're on the radio show too. But um, I would like to talk about the gems this time. Uh, I'm still not sure what you're saying, Ping. But I want to talk with you as well. The gems have been, you know, incredible. We're seeing a lot of pink. Yes. We're seeing a lot of sculptures, 3D objects. People don't want things on the wall anymore. Mm. They want them in the middle of their living room. Mm. They want them on their head. Yes, and you have one right now, actually. I bought this one. here. Very yes. expensive. I'm very excited to be debuting it. I'll yes. be auctioning everything I'm wearing. It was so exciting to welcome guests like curator Ping Yolk and collector extraordinaire Pilar Elizabeth Rendezvous and Fetchinson on Untitled Radio. This episode, Fictions, along with the previous episodes of the Untitled Art Podcast, are all compiled from live recordings of radio broadcasts we've presented at the fair since 2015. The future of Untitled Art Podcast will include more interviews and discussions and will continue to be a platform to distribute, present, and promote audio-based and immaterial artwork. As I said earlier, you can't believe everything you hear. However, when it's fiction, sometimes it's fun to go along with the story. Countless contributors were involved in the programs we heard today, and I'd like to give a special thanks to Justin Asher and Mnemonic Recordings for producing this episode. 
Adrian Olivares and Vicente Solis at Windwood Radio in Miami, Aaron Harbour and Catherine from KGPC in San Francisco, Kea Duarte, our programming manager, as well as the contributors to today's episode, including Cesar Aira, Piper Marshall, New Directions Publishing Corporation, Sergio Vega, Scott Reeder and Luce Gallery, A. Arokawa, Dan Poston, Stefan Cherpinen, Anne McGuire, Wayne Grimm, Constance Tenvik. The music you heard at the beginning and end of this episode are original tracks by Celia Hollander from the score for Madeline Hollander's performance, Mile, Untitled 2015. And finally, to my team at Untitled Art Fairs for joining in my belief that by tuning out, you can tune in. There's a lot of exciting things going on this month. We'd like to take a moment to point out a few exhibitions opening next month at our partner institutions, including a solo retrospective exhibition by Larry Bell opening at the Institute of Contemporary Art Miami, as well as an exhibition by artist Manuel Solano, whose work was recently featured in the New Museum's Triennial, curated by the ICA's chief curator, Alex Gartenfeld. Also opening in Miami in November is a solo exhibition by Kingston-born Ebony G. Patterson. On the West Coast, the 500 Cap Street Foundation will open a special exhibition featuring the work of Mike Kelly. C Project opens with an immersive installation and performance orchestrated by Ragnar Kjarstensen. And the highly anticipated exhibition, Art in China After 1989, Theater of the World, opens at SFMOMA. And if that's not enough to keep you excited, we've launched our itinerant film and video program, Untitled Cinema, in the Bay Area. Untitled Cinema is dedicated to presenting curated video and film programs across the Bay Area during an ongoing series taking place this fall at venues including Creative Growth Center for the Arts, BAMFA, the Wattis Institute, Minnesota Street Project, and more. Visit untitledartfairs.com slash cinema for more information. To wrap up another episode, I'd like to leave you with the words of John Cage. Wherever we are, what we hear is mostly noise. When we ignore it, it disturbs us. When we listen to it, we find it fascinating. So I'd like to invite you to keep on listening and to think of listening as another way of looking. Tune in for our next episode, which will explore women in contemporary art through the archives of Untitled Radio. Signing off, I'm your host, Amanda Schmidt, and I hope you'll join us again on Untitled Art Podcast.